code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 10th, 2009. For newcomers, you should look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And on that site, this official website, you'll see all the other official sites I have up there. Anything you see on the net outside of that isn't actually mine. And bookmark the alternate sites for future use in case the big servers go down. Again, I've done that in the past a few times. That way you can get the latest shows for download, the audios, uh, right away. And remember, there's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com, cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca, there's Alan Watts, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca, there's Alan Watts, sentient, sentinel.eu. That latter one is the European site, has all the same audios for download, but it has addition of transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the past for download and print up uh, and they're in the various languages of Europe and remember again that you are the audience you bring me to you five nights a week and this is a full time it's more than an occupation it's not a job either it's more than that because we're going through the most tremendous changes in history we're going through the culmination of really a couple of hundred years of strategy and planning and it's all happening right now as the world has been transformed into a new structure and authority for the next thousand years, literally, which will affect everything. And it's up to you to keep me going so you can find out how to purchase the items I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.net. You can donate to me as well. You can use PayPal button on the site for donations and for purchases or you can send me a personal check from the U.S. to Canada. You can also use international postal money orders from the U.S. purchase in the post office to Canada. And you can also use Western Union outside the Americas, PayPal, Western Union, MoneyGram, or Cash. It's up to yourselves how you want to send it. It all ends up in the same place anyway. Some of these uh, instant wiring systems are more costly than others, so check them out for yourselves. As I say, order send cash. And you can order the items I have for sale as well through PayPal if you send me a separate email. For those who get disburned and passed to them at the talks I've given, and this happens all the time at little meetings all over the planet that I hear about afterwards generally, um, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, site 41, box 4. Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. The postal code is P as in Peter, the number 3, E as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N as in Nora, the number 1, P-3-E-4-N-1. And that should get to me without any problems whatsoever. The one thing about the mail, they're very good. Even when they open it, sometimes they still make sure that everything comes through. I know when they open it because they put a bundle in the box at the same time. They've held up for a week. 
with a rubber band around it. I'm the only person in the area that gets it that way. But that's the world we live in. It's a totalitarian new system where we have, uh, we've been told we have a new freedom. George Bush Jr. said that. He's introducing the new freedoms. And it was never asked by any reporter anywhere what he meant by this legal uh, declaration. It was a legal, legal declaration, uh, what the new freedoms were. It's odd that the reporters never asked the obvious, isn't it? It's like when his dad came out with the New World Order on September the 11th, to, uh, 1990. Uh, uh, no one says, well, what do you mean by a new world? What does it mean? No one asked him that question. They just winked in that old Masonic way. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's interesting when you look at the, the recent history, really, since about World War II onwards. You can go before that, too, and I have gone to that before, into the, the past, ancient past, middle, and up to the, the present. But it's good to see uh, how things really don't simply transpire by themselves, and it's good to see how big organizations work on cultures and, and Populations and geopolitics to to get them all ready for the next phase, the next wave. They're going to bring the populations through into this global agenda. And as I say, for the last hundred years and before that, uh, great plans and great powers were at work to destroy the cultures uh, that really were called first world countries at that time, because they knew even when they before they set up the League of Nations that became the United Nations, that to bring in their idealized totally controlled society worldwide that they'd have to destroy any part of a culture and any culture uh, which was not all-inclusive in its particular ways of viewing others. That went for religions too. Any religion which was, was, was not all-inclusive of everyone else's religion had to be destroyed and did replace it, they said, with eventually with a form of uh, pantheism where it's called New Age today. And they started that in a big role uh, since the 1960s. But before that, too, even in the 1800s with Madame Blavatsky, uh, she was on the go. She was set out to try and introduce uh, the blending of uh, the cultures, especially of India, with that of the West, because they had a plan then that eventually they'd open up the floodgates from India under a British Commonwealth system for interchange of population. That's so anyone who has a, a sort of ex exclusive culture or has an exclusive belief that they believe is, is the only real belief there is to have has to be literally put down by any means possible, eventually just blacklisted and banned, if need be, outlawed, in fact. A lot of this was done, these changes were done by what people thought were grassroots movements and political movements generally called by the left. Now, many of the left-wing followers became true believers in this great utopic idea they had. It seemed to make sense to them that, that um, everyone should be the same, etc., etc., etc. But without even thinking, first, if everyone's the same, that means even their own culture has to be pretty well destroyed in the process. And without telling them what kind of culture would replace it. I mean, who wants to, to work towards a world state 
where you have a fixed, a rigidly fixed intergenerational dominant group ruling over all the rest. The dominant group ruling in luxury and all the rest of you kept uh, deprived of the material things for living. And that's part of totalitarianism when an elite hold the keys to the distribution of manufactured goods and so on. And population control uh, has always been part of it as well. They started with countries in, in Europe on the population control rant a long time ago. And at that time, it was seen as to be the right wing, the far right that wanted it. They were terrified that the, the lesser breeds, the commoners, would outbreed uh, the elite type, even though the elite always had far more children than the commoners did. That's all, it's absolutely nonsense to think it's the other way around, although that's promoted as the myth. Because I have books going back to the early 1900s when the big families, the big uh, lords uh, and uh, peer families, the hereditary peer groups, were churning out books calling for restrictions of birth for the commoners. And there was a lot of books written as well to counter that by different ministers on behalf of the public using the statistics of births and saying, why don't the elite give us an example? And it points out how many this family and that family had at the top of the food chain. You can't ever take things at first at face value. You must always look at all sides of everything and see who's really playing the sides. I've always said there's another side pulling the strings of both sides. And that's a fact. There is. And they always need true grassroots believers. The, the mob, the, the, the sheep and animal farm that John, uh, George Orwell talks about that simply are there to chant the slogans and don't even notice when the, the slogan has altered. They, they chant it just the same. They're the masses of, of followers, you see. China, years ago, and I've read the old reports over the years from China that was led up to be what is now being proclaimed as the world's example. It's the model state for the world to follow. The United Nations has said that many times with their one-child-per-family policy, which is, by the way, a lie. I read a report a few months ago that said that China actually had been easing their one-child-per-family policy for those families who could afford it to pay a fine. This is eugenics, you see, meaning those who can afford to have children, more children, obviously have made up the food chain in the psychopathic struggle of psychopaths as they get up into the politburos that every town over there has. And the politburos decide even what businesses are going to have now, you understand? It's, it's really a fascist system in disguise. In fact, it's a more perfected fascist system under the guise of communism. You all down there must suffer uh, because we're, we're all really struggling. But we at the top have to live a, a higher lifestyle because we're dignitaries and important people, you see? Uh, that's the, the hypocrisy of communism but they're held up to be the model state for the world if, if it's purely eugenics because and it'll be worse and worse as time goes on because I mean these, these families which are already intergenerational these, these politburo types you see are psychopathic and they'll marry other types of psychopaths that came up the same way because only psychopaths struggle up to the top 
they've got a lust for power ordinary folk cannot imagine then to breed and to produce more psychopaths so hell is coming down the road the best laid plans of mice and men gang aft aglay as they say so anyway at the Copenhagen meeting apart from looting the world and making us all poor in the process which is part of the agenda absolute poverty I'm not kidding about that and governmental regulation under so many guises but technically it's the communistic techniques they're using on the masses as I said they would while the fascist elite remain in place uh, with their big multinational international trading deals selling carbon offsets and all the rest of it so here they are at Copenhagen prattling on about China being the model state again for the world to follow and obviously China's also using it uh, as a, a bastion against uh, paying too many carbon taxes even though they're really the world's main polluter now because they have all the factories that the West gave them through the, the GATT treaty that the Westerns snoozed through as their factories were sent abroad and the taxpayers of the West paid for it all by the way the whole transplanting process this article here is uh, about Copenhagen and what's been discussed there and it's from the China Daily by Lai Ching it says here and this is the 10th of December it's population control called key to deal so there you go right into it see Money and, and population control. Profit, really, and population control. Because you know darn well, um, this has nothing to do with what they're claiming. It's a beautiful con, uh, climate, uh, saving the climate, saving the world, all that stuff. It's a great con to get everybody poor while they take it all from the ones at the bottom and bring in really a communistic society across the globe. Copenhagen, population and climate change are intertwined, but the population issue has remained a blind spot when countries discuss ways to mitigate climate change and slow down global warming, according to Zeo Beiju, Vice Minister of National Population and Family Planning Commission of China. We only have these same uh, uh, commissioners or commissariats in all the Western countries, shortly too. Dealing with climate change is not simply an issue of CO2 emission, but a comprehensive challenge involving political, economic, social, cultural, and ecological issues. And the population concern fits right in the picture, said Zhao, who's a member of the Chinese government delegation, and I will add communist, is still communist as far as they proclaim. Many studies link population growth with emissions and the effect of climate change. Well, it's interesting, what they're quoting here in this article, what the Chinese are quoting, are statistics all, all, all fud- statistics are great I think it was Theo Roosevelt that first said it says you have lies you have damn lies and then you have statistics because it's another form of putting across a lie but if you think if you think of it well it's a scientific thing then it must be a fact that's why they use statistics and they fudge them all the time so they use the London School of Economics and the UN's own uh, statistics to to bolster up their argument here. That's very, very interesting in D-Day. And they've all, the, all these fake statistics of, of how much CO2 they'll, they'll uh, cut back if they reduce the population by X amount and so on, all the rest of it. But she does admit that China's population program is not without consequences as the, cu- the country is entering the aging society fast and facing the problem of gender imbalance. <laughs> Because, you see, infanticide is, is 
is going, is always going on well and good in China. And they prefer the males. They have an imbalance of way too many males over females. And, uh, an aging population and they aren't producing enough children. The UN has said uh, itself that uh, sees population of China declining drastically around 2050, um, and in fact beyond the state of recovery. Amazing how that's their goal, eh? The United Nations is to put whole places under uh, to such an extent they can't recover. There's actually an extent where you start to die off. The breed type dies off. And that's all slated for the West. And that's actually working. has been working for years, as I say. Back with more after this break. Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. They're filling in the blanks, really, that most media leaves out and showing you what's behind the articles they produce, what's the reasons for producing them, what you're intended to believe, and they play on your ignorance. And they also pres- always present things that are in a great slant by omission, generally, by omitting any other factors except favorable, favorable factors, kind of like pharma does when they get special doctors who are well paid to do it to fudge reports on drugs. Same idea. Just omit all the bad stuff, you know, like deaths and paralysis and stuff like that. Everything's meant to be propaganda, you see. Everything's propaganda. And most people, unfortunately, don't know that. The average person out there in its audience will know that, but people outside who don't listen to shows like this will read the regular news, hear the regular media, and they think no further than they're getting told all there is to know about something. And that's all there is. So their opinions are formed for them by deliberation, by those who set them up, the process of setting them up. Now, Margaret Sanger was a great uh, eugenicist who really spearheaded the abortion and sterilization industries. Uh, She lived in the U.S., but she formed a group called Family Planning. She hated various races. She thought they were utterly inferior. Great admirer of of Nazi Germany and communist Russia. She loved Stalin as well. She called children weeds, by the way, weeds, and uh, thought having children really for a female was abhorrent, in a sense, like popping out a pumpkin. I think she actually used that term. And uh, you, can, you should cringe when you realize the people behind the big movements that are ongoing today. You should cringe when you realize the hatred for humanity that they actually have. And it's carried on by big elitist groups. The United Nations is famous for talking about uh, giving women freedom of choices and all this stuff. And it's not that at all, because you have to go into the Kissinger report where they said the third world countries really pose a threat to the state, meaning the U.S. and the Western world, by their overpopulation. And a big plan went into work to, to try and encourage women to go in for um, sterilizations and abortions across the third world. We're funding so many outfits out there that you can't count them all now through government funding and foundational funding 
uh, under the umbrella of the United Nations, which pretends to keep its hands clean. They'll say they don't actually do abortions themselves. They just have this umbrella group of NGOs and foundations and government grants beneath them that do it all for them. They're all hypocrites and liars, you see. Now, the Optimum Population Trust is part of this. It's run by the top fascists. The, the, they admit themselves, and, one, and I read the article from their own website some time ago, where they said that most people view them as very rich, elitist, uh, aristocratic types, white. They says, which we are. You know, the chairman says, which we are. They're all aristocrats. The type that um, of Charles Galton Darwin's stock. And I think one of their... their um, heads right now is Sir Crispin Tickle, my man who's not too funny at all, regardless of his name and he really puts Malthus up on a pedestal for his policies and said they should be followed through. I think he's also related to, um, to the Darwins now they come out with this carbon offsets for the wealthier countries this is supposed, this is, all you struggling out there, you're the wealthy people apparently according to them, not, not the big boys that the Optimum Population Trust, they won't pay for this, you will, you see and they've got a website up now it just came out, it popped out called POP Offsets POP Offsets, I suppose it means population offsets or it could be offset the POP, you know the PAPA, it could be that too, or maybe it's to um, to pop off uh, the child rather than pop out the child. It's up to you to take your pick. This is from their own uh, website up. I'll put the links up on the, at the end of the show if ExploreNet gives me the speed to put up a few uh, bits, um, which they seldom do now because they do attack you, believe you me, if you're not on board with the agenda. And it says here, Welcome to Pop Offsets. It's unique, it says. The first project in the world that simply and transparently enables individuals and organizations to offset their carbon footprint by funding the unmet need for family planning. That's the Sanger abortion sterilization agenda, which they call family planning. And the removal of the many barriers to women who want smaller families. They always pretend they're so caring, and they care, but they don't care a darn about women. At home or abroad, by the way. It says, our project recognizes the intrinsic links between increasing CO2 emissions, climate change, and the world's ever-growing population. So they'll give you an idea, a, a, a site here where you can actually uh, donate to it, to, to offset your own carbon credits. And this will take off because once we're going to get our, see, we're all going to get our personal billings from the governments on what they estimate we've used for carbon. We've, we've, we've cost something in carbon for a year. We're going to get that. And people will be using sites like this to offset their carbon, all the big players. And uh, they show you all the different things, but it says, what is POP offsets? It's an an initiative of the Optimum Population Trust, a leading UK environmental charity, you know, one of these foundations, which has many prominent patrons, prominent patrons, yeah. What we do and how it works. It's the worst first project that offers to offset carbon dioxide emissions through the most cost-effective, environmentally beneficial means, family planning, which, as I say, is abortion and sterilization. For the third world, mainly, and in this particular site here. This is, this is sold to you like a, a wonderful ad. You want to help people. Back with more after this break.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. This is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the Matrix. I've gone on over the years about giving yourself previews of the world to come, showing you instances that were happening at the time and projecting what will happen in the future and talking about the process, the deliberate science and process behind degrading society. I've gone through the Huxley material. I did it last night again, a little bit of it with Julian Huxley, who said we must uh, convince the public and teach them and condition them to to stop holding life up to such a high pedestal as something special, human life, he was talking about, and how they'd have to see themselves as another kind of animal. And it was from his particular statements that various books were churned out, like Soil and Green, that was actually a covert way to, to try and make the planet fearful about overpopulation, although it kind of had the other effect in the movie, movie version where the people end up eating uh, the remains of others, like little cake bars, green bars that came out of crematoriums. And I went on about the process too that abortion was the first pillar to be to help us get into the, the, the acceptance of bringing, killing people, really killing people, but just killing ourselves. We all come from the same start, basically. And uh, it's killing ourselves off. So it dehumanizes us in the process until it's normal and you say, well, so what? And then it becomes a business and an abortion industry is a big business and then they say, well, what can we do with these, these, the field tissue? Well, we can experiment with it and find profits in different ways. They sell parts to different laboratories and pharma companies. They put them in vaccines, even, fetal tissue. And um, so I remember in Russia, it was interesting, it was quite a few years back, uh, they showed you how the elites of Russia uh, were actually literally under a particular scientist theory. Uh, they, they were basically putting babies into blenders and uh, having this stuff injected into them, uh, thinking that we could give them the youthfulness and so on. And that was a big, I think it was a BBC or a panoramic production. But nothing dis- dis- disgusts me at all anymore because um, I saw this years ago. I knew the, the agenda. I knew all the different parts of the agenda. I was conscious of it all. as it was all, I was living through it. I, when it happened, all these different things, knowing where it was going to and, and the fact that it was organizational abilities and brains that were obviously, obviously all connected together that were bringing us along this particular path. And again, about six months ago, maybe, maybe a year ago, I mentioned about the new method of um, disposing of bodies where Sweden was using them in these big um, heating facilities. It's something like New York's got. New York's got a system where the garbage can get burned to produce heat for certain accommodation and, and homes and houses. Well, in Sweden, they also have that on a scale. I don't know how many places in Sweden, but one city in particular, and they dispose of the corpses in there too to get to add um, a few uh, thermal points to their system. And now... Uh, they come out with a cremation fluid. I've mentioned this before, too. It's called a green. You know, if anything has got the word green to it, it must mean it's okay. They should really call abortion green, too. You see, green abortion, uh, green sterilization, and, and it'll be more, it'll take off better. They'd use that slogan. 
And um, this is called green, uh, and it's got in quotation marks, cross. Um, cremation method produces liquid fertilizer. No doubt it'll be for Monsanto and the big boys who are in the process of taking over the last of the independent food supplies of the planet. And this is from Mother Nature News, which is a, a greenie magazine, of course. Uh, it says, new climate-friendly... I love, I, love, I love the terminology. It's so Soviet. The climate-friendly cremation method uses water and lye to transform human remains into 200 gallons of liquid fertilizer. See, it's a profit in everything. Everything. This China... The, 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 remember that the model state for the world that kills prisoners who they know have a certain DNA type and blood type to match uh, existing people who want uh, donor organs. They just execute them and take them. <laughs> what a business, eh? Anything goes in this disgusting world of today. But you have to understand who's running it. It says here, by Stephanie Rogers, December 7th, 2009, there are an awful lot of people on the planet and modern methods of disposing of human remains aren't exactly earth-friendly. Earth-friendly, oh my goodness, earth-friendly and, and green-friendly. Um, a new alternative to cremation and burial could change that and even increase food production for those still living if we can get past the icky factor of liquefying our dead relatives. Well, that will be easy, won't it? That will be pretty easy. Now you have all dysfunctional families or people don't even know who their parents are. So who would care? Who will there be there to care? Resumation is called. Oh, resumation is the process of disposing of human corpses through alkaline hydrolysis, which occurs when the body is sealed inside a vault-like tube filled with water and lye and steam heated to 300 degrees. Well, hey, that's going to give off carbon and pollute the atmosphere. Anyway, three hours later, some powdery bone fragments and 200 gallons of fluid are all that remain. Essentially, Resumation, which was developed by a Scottish company, Resumation Limited, and they've been right into the, the whiskey there, I think, is just like the natural process of decomposition, but on fast forward. The fluid can be safely dumped into sewer systems or even used as fertilizer on farms and gardens, a proposal that some say comes a little too close to Soylent Green for comfort. But unlike cremation and traditional burial, alkaline hydrolysis doesn't lead to toxic chemicals like dioxin and formaldehyde being released into the atmosphere or water supply. It also uses 80% less energy than standard cremation. It's good too for the, for the chemical companies that make all the chemicals to do it all. Right? But they won't mention that. Despite its apparent eco-friendliness, eco-friendliness, and it's all green and everything else, it's improbable that re resumation will become a common way to deal with human remains anytime soon. It seems unlikely at best that Americans will accept pouring what's left of a loved one down a drain or consuming food that has been sprayed with corpse juice. But as world leaders struggle to deal with the immense spectre of global warming, <laughs> solutions like resumation may become more palatable. And it's already accepted by many religious faiths, including Catholicism. Oh, really? We're not opposed to it. Environmentally, it seems like the right thing to do, says Catholic Cemeteries Manager of Marketing, Amy Profena. I think she's very profane there. So there you go. There you go. You can buy off anybody to say anything, can't you? <laughs> of course, no one would actually take the bribe, would they? <laughs> not in this world. It's so, it's so honest and transparent. Quite something, quite something. But 
There's another article here on the carbon trading, and this was predicted ages ago, this carbon trading scheme, how it was really meant for the rich at the top, of course. And all the poor folk down below are going to be raped and pillaged to get the, the taxes out of them, and eventually leading to the abolition of private property, which is on the list, by the way, of the United Nations. So they've got a few different planks to go. Not far, mind you, they're on their road. It says here, from Green News, it's called. Green News, everything's green, isn't it? Remember, green was the sacred color of meaning, meaning the successful conclusion of communism. The red star was the star of revolutionary part of it. You've got red lodges, black lodges, green lodges, blue lodges, and so on. The rainbow coalition. Anyway, it says here, UK's richest man could make more than one billion pounds from carbon trading scheme. This is from by Click Green Staff, published Monday 7th, December 2009. Could Mattel be laughing all the way to the bank with his carbon credits? His new analysis, released by climate change NGO Sandbag, has revealed that the UK's richest resident, Lashmi Mittal, CEO and major shareholder of the steel giant ArcelorMittal, could make over £1 billion between now and 2012 from his company's participation in the Economic Union's emissions trading scheme. Now, they were given all these things initially by the EU Parliament, these corporations, given them free and they've already been making millions of them by trading them to each other. You won't get that option at the bottom. You might get the option of getting a little reduction if you go into the Ottoman Populations Trust to sterilize people abroad. That, that might be for you, but you won't be able to get into the big group at the top that can do what these guys do. Ancelor Mattel has over 14 million emission permits that it does not need. It doesn't need. It's bought them, you see, in advance. Or it was given them, or it's already traded them from other companies. In 2008, a figure which Sandbag estimates will rise to 80 million by 2012, making it by far the biggest beneficiary of the scheme across the EU. It's beautiful, isn't it? Because you don't you don't move anything. You don't move anything. Sandbag. It's better than selling debt, where nothing is moved either except blips on a computer and promissory notes. Sandbike has written to CEO uh, Laxmi Mittal, urging him to commit to cancelling his company's unneeded emissions permits and what would be the largest act of climate philanthropy on record. <laughs> if cancelled, the 80 million surplus permits would prevent 80 million tonnes worth of pollution going into the world's atmosphere. How? How? <laughs> Equivalent to the annual emissions of Denmark, the country. It's a beautiful how they come up with these great statistics out of, you know, CO2 area. Utter rubbish, utter rubbish. But they'll make a massive killing on utter rubbish. Interesting, too, that everyone who's worked for a corporation, a company, or any government institution knows the score from the first day they arrive. But there is a policy. And through the scuttlebutt that's allowed to, to continue or make its rounds through the, the companies, you know immediately if it's privately owned or, or if it's a director in charge, you know immediately what his policies are, what he prefers. And it's the same in hospitals, wherever it happens to be, there's always a preferred way of doing things, with so-and-so likes 
if you're a journalist and you work for a newspaper, you immediately catch on what the, the owner likes and what the editors like, you see. So you know what, what stories not to cover, or if you have to cover them, you know how to slant it. That's standard. If you want to keep your job, that's what you do. But government institutions tend to do it a little differently. They put down through either surveys to find out who's pro or against something. And, but they already make it known, they always make it known in advance what they prefer at the top. And if you want to keep your job, you, you, you go with the, the guys at the top, obviously. And we find that um, from the Times Online, the, the Met Office in London, says top scientists rallied to the defense of the Met Office, December 10th, by Julia Slingo. It says the Met Office, and again it's a government office run by the government, has been making a fortune on this con of uh, global warming. Suddenly these scientists, you understand during the 50s and 60s and 70s, up into the 80s, people were encouraged to go into, to make money, lots of money, and I had in medicine, uh, pharmacology, at the top that is, like, like selling the stuff or marketing, um, or go into law, or to go into, uh, especially the law attached to government, uh, or go into um, sciences, but mainly the sort of nuclear sciences to do with missile defenses, because every so often you had the supposed race going on, uh, where both sides would claim that the other side had a faster missile or whatever, and, and you see it come out with this new one. So you could spend your whole lifetime and retire, and lots of them did, piling in the money that came from government grants to design new missiles. But after the Cold War, it suddenly merged into the one system, the synthesis of the capitalist commie. Um, the thing now is global warming. It's a new enemy, you see, and that's what the, the, the Club of Rome said. They had to come up with a new enemy, and man would be the problem, and, and global warming, famine, and the like would fit the bill. That's their very words from their own book. But anyway, it says, so now they're going into this. So they're all getting massive grants, and some of them are very important scientists. Before, if you were, if you were, worked for the weathermen, um, you, you have to meet them in conversation and say, well, what do you do? And they say, well, well I'm in the weather department. And you say, uh, 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 yes, very interesting. And you walk on, you see. But now they're suddenly famous, you know, and they're, and they're strutting around, strutting around there, just like the people did when uh, Kung Fu first came out. And every Chinese restaurant you went in in Europe, these guys, these little waiters, were strutting around for the first time because everyone thought they knew Kung Fu. Same idea. You're suddenly important. So this article says here, top scientists write to defense of the Met Office. More than 1,700 scientists have agreed to sign a statement defending the professional integrity of the global warming research. They're responding to a round-robin request from the Met Office, which has spent four days collecting signatures. The initiative is a sign of how worried it is that emails stolen from the University of East Anglia are fueling skepticism about man-made global warming at a critical moment in talks on carbon emissions. One scientist said he felt under pressure to sign the circular or risk, or risk losing his work, his job. The Met Office admitted that many of the signatories did not work on climate change, so it didn't matter if you didn't work on climate change department, that you're good enough. See, you see, they're liars and cheats and all the rest of it, aren't they? <laughs> they're proving they're doing it by that survey. What, do you, what department? Oh, I'm not in the weather. No. Well, it doesn't matter. They won't know. Just sign your name here. <laughs> so it says, John Hurst, the Met Office, chief executive. So here you are, the CEO, you see. 
and Julia Slingo, its chief scientist, wrote to 70 colleagues on Sunday asking them to sign to defend their profession against this unprecedented attack to discredit us and the science of climate change. Now, why didn't they say, um, uh, we're very impartial about this, uh, this science, uh, what do you really think about it? No, they said, as to defend our profession against this unprecedented attack to discredit us and the science of climate change. So, so there's their, their mindset right away. So anybody who signs that says, How, I want to keep my job, I better sign it. <laughs> they asked me to come forward uh, to forward the petition to colleagues to, to generate support for a simple statement that we have the utmost confidence in the science base that underpins the evidence for global warming. There's your con games, uh, right in action right there. Do you want me to keep your job? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, wonderfully. Now, remember I've gone before into the United Nations and its precursor. It's a kind of Phoenix-type system that's supposed to alter every so many years into its next phase because its predecessor, the League of Nations, was started up with the intention of bringing in global government. It has all the departments that you have within the United Nations that your federal government has. For everything that is cons it's involved in within, so does the United Nations on a much bigger scale. And you don't realize that pretty well all your laws uh, that come down the pike to do with, with land, with uh, water rights, uh, well drilling, septic systems, uh, maintenance, conservation, all that comes from the UN. Even building a house and the structure of it for the engineers all come to, to the dict by the dictates of the United Nations. Uh, building codes of all kinds, electrical codes, plumbing codes, no, 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 it goes. Well, the UN now is, is pushing its next, they always push for the next, not, where they're going to literally take over the sea. No travel, no freedom of travel on the sea without their permission. Back with more after this break. through the matrix. The UN was designed to take over all the functions and authority over that really national governments had in the past, because the end of nationalism, you see, and when it was set up in the first place, it said its main enemy was nationalism, followed by individualism. The destruction of individualism was necessary, they said, to bring in a collectivist type of society. Long time ago. And the only ones actually who, who will be individuals are those at the top who can afford it. But anyway, this is from the Times, December the 10th, as they go after the sea. And they already own the sea, basically, because they've already signed agreements bit by bit, and then they put them into force years later. Uh, this is December 10th, 2009. UN may curtail 400-year-old freedom of the seas. It says, the 400-year-old freedom of the high seas will be lost under United Nations plans to limit environmental damage. See if they'll use it for everything. <laughs> Military forces of several nations are in discussions with conservationists over pulling surveillance resources to enforce the changes. The freedom of the seas has given mariners legal rights to roam the high seas, a boundary that usually occurs 200 nautical miles from shore at will. Specialists gathered at London conference are saying that Fishermen have been pushing this concept too far. The United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea came into force in 1983 
I remember at the time talking about that, no one would listen. And enshrined the 17th century concept of the freedom of the seas, but while being on the high seas put ships outside the jurisdiction of any one country, the small print of the law dictates that nations ensure that no undue damage is caused. In other words, massive loopholes that can literally go after everything, right? The freedom of the highest seas has always been accompanied by attendant responsibilities in the law of the Sea Convention, said Jeff Ardron, director of the High Seas Program for the Marine Conservation Biology Institute. They were not unfettered freedoms. They have just been treated that way. The time has come when we are finally going to implement the law of the sea convention as it was intended, he told the Natural England Conference, entitled Sea Change, Featuring or Securing a Future for Europe's Seas. The UN General Assembly voted last week to impose strict regulations on high seas bottom trawling vessels. It's amazing that that happened uh, into certain countries like Canada for about 30 years. And now they're just stopping it. But it wasn't Canadians that were allowed to fish there. It was everybody else. Next February, in fact, they put the whole fishing business pretty well under in Canada, thanks to the United Nations, by allowing all the Spanish ones and ones across all over Europe to fish everything and bottom as a troll it as well across the Canadian shorelines. That was a policy to put all the Canadian fishermen out of business. Next February, a UN working group will meet to discuss establishing marine protected areas on the high seas to create boundaries within which fishing activities are restricted. Fishing vessels are not required to carry the same automatic identification system that tracks the identity of merchant ships. Closing this loophole will be crucial to keeping their activities in check, said Christina Gerde, the high seas policy advisor for the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. <laughs> uh, you know, eventually you see you're going to get no protein. Do you ever wonder why the mad cow thing broke out? Has it ever dawned on you that they might not have existed at all? They kept showing the same poor cow going across a, a, a barnyard in every country. And then they slaughtered pretty well all of the cattle of Britain, especially in a good part of Europe. Lots of folk went vegetarian, terrified. Then told you don't eat fish, there's mercury in it, don't eat that. Then H1N1 comes from chickens. Go veggie, go veggie. You don't catch on to it, do you? What's really going on? The war's going on. I mean, you've, and you've been living through it without even knowing it. From Hamish yourself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good nights. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.